morning, everybody. Everybody doing good? Wow, this mic sounds hot. Yeah. Hey, um, by the way, my name is Robert. I am the microchurch pastor here at Greenhouse, South Florida. Very excited to be here with you guys this morning. Um, I might get a little emotional here and there, and you might see at the end why, but uh, really excited for, um, for those that are joining us online this morning, and um, you know, sad that you will not be here with us this morning, but hey, if you're ready to jump into the Word, say, I'm ready. All right, so if you're ready, jump to, to your feet, press in. Come on, somebody. And Desiree, in the baby, in the house. ADD, just like Pastor John. I just got just to keep it real. So good to see you, President Desiree. Hey, um, we're, we're continuing our series on the movement. Everybody say, the movement. We're going through the book of Acts, and the idea is that as the church started, even as we speak today, we see the movement of God still moving. Now look to your neighbor and say, you got to keep moving. Now look to the other side and say, don't stop. That's right. <laughs> don't stop. All right, if you got a Bible, open it up to Acts chapter 9. I'm really excited about this word this morning. I think the Lord is going to do something very special. He's already been doing something special in my heart about it. And so if you don't have a Bible, you can look it up on the screen. Acts chapter 9, verse 1, and it says it like this. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciple. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether man or woman, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And he responds, who are you, Lord? Saul, he asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could not see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days, he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. Let's pray. Jesus, we so desperately need your help. Even right now, I ask that you would begin to open up our hearts, our understanding, enlarge our capacity to receive your word this morning, that we may be able to walk out, transform, and change. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Give somebody a high five. Sit down may have a seat and I want to start off with a question I want to start off with a question have you ever heard testimonies stories accounts of people that have been encountering God or that have encountered God to the point that their lives have been drastically and dramatically changed have anybody heard of any testimonies like that we all have, right? 
Have you, I have heard stories very similar like that. Let me tell you like this. I have heard stories of people going through hardship, hitting back rotom in their life, and literally miserable. And to one day, Jesus comes in the picture, and their lives get transformed. I heard testimonies of people that have died because of overdose or because of drugs. And next thing you know, they, be, they got resuscitated. And in the moment they get resuscitated, immediately the Lord shows up and they give their life to Jesus and their life is transformed forever. I heard stories of people on the brink of committing suicide. And as they hear the lies of the enemy saying, you need to take your life away, the, the, the word of the Lord or the voice of the Lord even comes stronger than that one voice saying, I have a plan for you. I love you. I have a future for your life. And in that moment, that life get transformed and changed. I have, I have heard stories of people sitting in a park, watching the birds flying in the air and feeling the breeze. And out of nowhere, the revelation of a creator comes in the picture and in that moment they give their life to Jesus and their life is transformed forever. I heard stories of people opening up the Bible for the first time, reading one verse and next thing you know the Lord reveals himself to that one verse and their lives get transformed and change forever. I have heard people of feeling lonely, depressed, despair and in that moment they cry out to the Lord. And next thing you know, they encounter his love and their life is changed forever. It sounds like some of our story. And the reality of this is that I am convinced that there's only one way to the Father and that is through Jesus. But I am also convinced that as we are on this journey, there's many ways that we experience that encounter with him. And so today, I want to kind of like frame this idea in this thought about what Paul went through on that conversion on the road to Damascus. And for some of us, you might be here for the first time, and you're not a believer, you're not following Jesus, and next thing you know, you're like, you know what, Robert, this sounds great, this is good. You know what, I, I'm going to hear what you got to say, but I'm hoping... And I'm praying for you that at the end of this service, as we are going to make an altar call, that you will respond. See, God can use your past for the sake of the gospel for the future. But I, I, I cannot know, and I don't know your story, but one thing I know is that God wants to use your story to bring it into his story because history, our past, is actually his story. And the reason why we're here, a lot of us today, is because he has brought us into his story. As we look at Paul's story today, um, besides Acts chapter 9, we're actually going to look at Acts chapter 22 and Acts chapter 26 because there's a lot of ample detail that he gives us. Actually, um, Luke chapter 9, I'm sorry, um, Acts chapter 9 is kind of like Luke writing the story. And in um, Acts 22 and 26 is basically Paul telling the story. And it says that Saul was about 13 years old when he goes to the um, Tarsus, from Tarsus to, to Jerusalem to study under one of the most notable scholars, rabbis of the day. His name was Gamaliel. 
And Saul becomes, and let me say this, let me, let me pause here for a minute. Saul is the same guy as Paul. So if you got me, if you're like, wait a minute, who, who are you talking about? We're talking about the same guy. Saul was basically his Hebrew name, and Paul was, you know, basically his Greek name. So let us settle that, you know, so like that you don't get confused. Like, who, are we talking about two different guys? No, we're talking about the same guy. And it says that, um, and Saul becomes trained um, by this man named Gamaliel, and he actually begins to uh, learn the Old Testament, and he begins to even uh, study some of the commentaries and Benedict's thoughts that, that actually it, it was provided for, for anyone that came under a rabbi. In other words, Paul was a really brilliant, intelligent man. And it is never mentioned that he met Jesus during Jesus' earthly ministry. Saul would have been about 25 years old. Some scholars suggest that at this point, probably he was back during the time of Jesus um, in Jerusalem. He was probably, Paul was probably back in, uh, in Tarsus. Um, and in this period of time where Jesus was there. And when he, um, when he comes, when we come to uh, the book of Acts in chapter 9, we begin to see that Jerusalem, that Paul is already in Jerusalem. And he's about 30 years old. And there's a reason why I'm giving you this entire background. He's either come to observe some of the Jewish feasts or possibly Saul is using his training for something else. And um, like it was back in the days, uh, uh, the, the, you know, in the Jewish uh, Supreme Court called the Sanhedrin, um, very likely Paul was part, about the age of 30, he was already part of this elite group of people in the Jewish sector. In Acts 26, 10, it says, and when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. And this is Paul talking about how he's already persecuting the church he's giving the testimony he's persecuting the church and this is why i believe that he was already part of this um, group of elitist um, jewish people called the sanhedrin for saul to have voting privileges very likely he was already part of that group in philippians 3 verses 4 through 6 it says if anyone is someone else thinks they have reason to put confidence in the flesh i have more this is what he says. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regards to the law, a Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. And you can see that this man is a, he's basically a man that is so qualified for what he believes he's going after. In other words, I was ahead of my class that's basically what he's saying in the first time that paul is actually mentioned in the new testament is when stephen gave his sermon you guys um, a couple of weeks ago pastor john preached about stephen um basically he was preaching and next thing you know he was found guilty and guess what he got stoned to death i imagine that something like that happening to us today i hope not acts 7 Verse 58 says, they dragged him out of the city, this is Stephen, and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses lay their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. So I'm trying to, I'm trying to paint a picture for us here to see to the extent 
of how Paul was actually an enemy of God. Acts 8, 1, it says, And Saul approved of their killing, killing him. On that day, a great persecution broke out of against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Talking about Acts 1, 8 coming into play already. The grand plan of God. That once you receive the power of the Holy Spirit, you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And we see in Acts chapter 8, verse 3, it says, But Saul began to destroy the church, going from house to house. He dragged them off, both men and women, and put them in prison. Some of the persecution of the church starts, and guess what? Paul is right at the center of it all. He is the epicenter of this persecution. He begins to wreak havoc against the church. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, we get an idea of what was Paul really like. He says, here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Duh, we know that, right? Of whom I am the worst. Now, that's a startling statement. Here is Paul, anointed to preach the gospel to the ends of the earth. Literally, he does that. And he says, I am the worst sinner of all. What can he possibly do or has done that he can say, I'm the worst of all? In 1 Timothy 1.13, it says it like this. This is what he says. Even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man. This means that he had no thought over humans. This means that he was a bully. He was hard with words and with physical. And he came against the church. He got pleasure out of hurting and putting people in prison. And he tortured them. And he made them suffer. And actually in, um, in Acts 26, 10, it says, part of his testimony, he's saying like this. On the authority of the chief priests, I put many of the Lord's people in prison. And when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. Many at a time, I went from one synagogue to another to have them punished. And I tried to force them to blaspheme. Now imagine that. He's trying to get people to lie and to blaspheme against God so they can be put in prison. Now you get the picture why he says I'm the worst of, it all, of, of them all, right? He will hurt them. He will abuse them. He will threaten them. I was so, he says this, and uh, it says in Acts 20, he says, I was so obsessed with the persecution, with persecuting them, that I even haunted them down to foreign cities. He went out of his way. It's not like, you know, like I need to go to the store. If I go to the store, what's going to happen? Oh, I'm going to witness to somebody. I'm going to say something on my way to what I need to do. No, he's going out of his way because he realized, I got to stop this. I have to stop this. He's not only causes them to blaspheme God, he murders them. He violently persecutes people. He was a Christ-hating sinner. And this is Paul's story. 
And, and you know what this tells us? This tells us that if God can change Paul, God can change anyone. He can change anyone. And he will. And he wants to. And he still does. And the fact that you're here today listening to this message is because he desires to change your life. It is not by chance or a coincidence that you got invited here today or that you're listening to this online. God has a plan for your life. God knows who you are. He knows where you're at. He knows what you've done. But more than where you, where you know that he, where you're at and what he's done, he knows and desires to be in relationship with you. And nothing could change that because he longs to be with us. God can change anyone. I got one big thought to wrap around this message in two short points. We're going to run through this quickly. The one big thought is one encounter with Jesus can change your life forever. One encounter with Jesus can change your life forever. Two short stopping points to frame this talk. The first one is this. Change begins with divine contact. Change begins with divine contact. Acts 9, it says, verse 1, Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciple. He went to the high priest and ask him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, by the way, back in the days, the way was actually Christians, Christianity. Today, what we know of the way is actually a cult. So don't call yourself the way because that'll be erroneous. Uh, whether man or woman, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. See, his whole intention was to go after these Christians. The whole time, Paul was really sincere about what he was doing. It's almost like some of us. Sometimes we're so sincere about doing what we think we're doing that is right, yet we can be sincerely wrong. But at the end of the day, all this is that what may seem to be like in an unfortunate situation, God was orchestrating a grand plan behind the scene. And just let me, you know, give you a little bit of my background and, and, and talking about Paul and, and how he felt like he was the, the chief sin, sinner of all. Um, for me, I grew up in a home that it was a, a hostile home. My dad uh, was an alcoholic. He was abusive physically and he was abusive verbally. And, and for us, it was, a, it was a really rough time growing up in this home. And I remember days after days, you know, living in this home, I, I, I grew angry and upset and tired. And I'm like, man, one day, one day, God, no, not God, but one day I'm going to take revenge to my own hands. And as I grew older, I, grew, I, I began to realized that some of the consequences as a kid when I was doing the bad things that I was doing, when I became an adult, they actually changed. 
And so some of the behaviors that I did when I was a kid, now that I was an adult, there was different consequences. And realizing this, that when I was a teenager in the streets of New York and Brooklyn, running around, looking for acceptance, looking for a group of homies to cut me in. And that's what I felt like I needed to prove myself. And I began to commit all these different crimes and all these different things. And for the sake of the name pastor, I don't want to go into the details. Because I don't want you to say, oh my gosh, a pastor did all that? Yes. <laughs> but one day I was in New York and I was running around and doing some stupid things in the streets. And I didn't realize that I had hurt so many people. In running from my life, I decided, I decided that I knew that I needed to leave New York. And I was running from my life, and I came down to Florida. And being in Florida, I realized, I'm like, man, people leave their garage open, their cars open. I'm like a criminal thinking person like me. I'm like, this is heaven. Don't leave your car unlocked. <laughs> And so the cycle of this crazy lifestyle just continued. Drugs, alcohol, womanizing, clubbing, stealing, robbing, to the point of doing so many stupid things that obviously it took me to a down spiral of destruction in my life. I was going after the wrong things, and I failed to realize that I was opposing the right things. Because here I am opposing the law, thinking that I'm above the law and that I got what it takes to do this. And that came quickly to an end because of a crime that I committed. I landed in prison for three years. And for some of you guys, that might be a surprise. Yes, as a pastor, I was in prison. I did three years. I was apprehended by the law. And you might say, Robert, I, I'm not even that bad. I can't even begin to relate with you. I haven't had no criminal behavioral tendencies as you have. I have never stolen anything. I have never used a cuss word. If you're my wife, you have never used a cuss word. I have never used drugs. And the issue is that you might say, I might not done all these things, but really all this issue that we all have in what levels of playing field is that it all started back in the garden. Because ever since the garden, we said to God, you know what, God? I got this. I'm going to do with my life what I think that I need to do. And so no matter either when you've been on the far end of the spectrum, landing in prison, or you've been on the other side where you feel like, man, I've been too good to be stressed, or I, I'm just too good, or it doesn't matter where you're at on the side of the spectrum, because in the eyes of God, we all have fallen short of the glory of God. We all have blown it. Otherwise, we will not be sitting in this church today. Otherwise, we will not be listening online right now. How many times have we gone after the wrong things and failed to realize that we were opposing the right things? Am I the only crazy one that has done that we all done that looking at Paul's story here's a guy that is going completely opposite and against what God 
will desire for him or for anybody. Yet, in the process of this, God is still chasing after him. God is pursuing him. God is calling on him, which tells us something profound about our God. God is the one that always, always initiates the approach. Oftentimes, I will correct myself. I'm like, oh, yeah, like I gave my life to Jesus. Gave my life to Jesus. I was rescued from the pits of hell. That's how it was for me and for some of us here today. And how many of you are glad that God actually reached out long before you reached to him? He was looking for you. He's been looking for you. Even in the moments when we're not looking for him. God can change anyone. Acts chapter 9 verse 3 it says, As he neared Damascus, Paul, on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. As he retells the account in Acts 26, it says, on one of these journeys, I was going to Damascus with the authority and the commission of the chief priest. About noon, O king, as I was on the road, I saw a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, blazing around me and my companions. You will say, okay, well, what was that light? What light can be brighter than the sun? That's Jesus. That's who it was. It's the presence of God. It's the fullness of the glory of Jesus. It's the glory and majesty of who God is. And in Revelation chapter 1, verse 16, it says, this is John writing, it says, His face was like the sun shining in all of his brilliance. In John chapter 8, verse 12, again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. See, lights, whether small or big, are powerful. Wouldn't you agree with that? Many years ago, we used to live in Gainesville, and, and we had, um, there was one of those thunder, crazy, lightning storm, storms coming through, and we had a lot of pine trees around our house, and for some reason, they'd become lightning rods. You know, pine tree become lightning rods, well, these it's about 2 o'clock in the morning, and, and obviously we wake up because we hear all the clapping and all the, you know, the lightning and thunder and craziness outside. And so we're just laying in bed, and out of nowhere, we hear these crazy screams coming from the girl's bedroom. I mean, they're literally like somebody's in there ready to, like, kill them. Like, they're screaming. I'm not even going to try to scream like that because I, my voice is already going, so, but... But when I hear that as a dad, I immediately, I'm like, I jump out of my bed, right? Their, their door is closed. I'm jump out of my bed. And so I'm thinking somebody's in there. So if somebody's in there, I'm going to let them know that I'm coming in, right? And so the first thing that I do, <laughs> the first thing that I do is I bang on the door, boom, boom, boom. And I, jump, and I go in, and next thing you know, they get more scared 
about me banging on the door and kicking the door almost literally down. <laughs> I, was, I was thinking about this and I was actually laughing this morning. But anyway, and all because the power went out and their little nightlight went out. I love my girls, Annabelle and Isabella. They're precious. But it's amazing how one little light can make a huge difference in this moment of darkness. And here we see when the light is on, you know where to step. When the light is on, you can see clearly. When the light is on, you're more secure and comfort. When the light is on, you have a sense of peace. When the light is on in the center of your marriage, harmony comes in. When the light is on, when you are at work with your employees, with your boss, there is peace, there is joy, there is excitement. There's a desire that, man, I want to go to work. There's something about when the light it's on in your life. When the light is on, we don't have to walk in darkness. 2 Corinthians 3, 16, but whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now, the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is and we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory and being transformed into the image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is spirit. God can change anyone. Acts 9 verse 4, he fell to the ground and heard a voice and saying, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Acts 9, 7 says, the men traveling with Saul stood there speechless, and they heard a sound, and they did not see anyone. My companions saw the light, but they did not understand the voice of whom was speaking. See, when I read this, I was like, interesting. This begs for a little bit of digging. Why did Paul, why did Paul hear the voice, but his companions didn't? What was happening here? In John chapter 12, it says it like this. And this is Jesus speaking. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. The crowd there heard it, said it thundered. Others said an angel has spoken. Interesting. So, the, so God the Father speaks. The crowd responds. And I, and I believe there's something very instructive for us here. The people acknowledged that they heard something, but they failed to recognize that it was actually the voice of God. Some thought it was something impersonal as an act of uh, nature. Oh, it, it just, it just thundered. It just, it was just lightning. It was just thunder. Some thought it was just a, uh, it must have been an angel. It was something spiritual, but it was an angel. And it's almost like, there's this, like, it's really not for me. This is not for me. I heard what it, you know, yeah, I saw, okay, good. But this is not for me. See, when we hear that God visits his people, what is our response? When God shows up in someone's life, what is our response? 
When God rescues somebody from the pits of hell, what is our response? When God heals someone's sickness or disease, what is our response? When you hear someone's testimony, what is your response? Oftentimes, I will talk to Zach, our, our worship leader, and, 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 and there's something about Zach that he's always having these stories, right, about encounters that he's having with people. And there's something in me that gets provoked. I'm like, oh, my gosh, dude, like, can we go right now? Why? Because I'm celebrating with him. Because I realize that he's living in the lane and in the path that God has for him. In other words, he has encountered the living God, and through him, he wants to be a movement to touch other people's lives. Church, imagine what would it be like in our lives if day after day, hour after hour, we're encountering, encountering the living God. And through that, we begin to be going out and sharing what the Lord has done in our life. We will have a whole different world. And I got to move on here. I didn't realize how little bit of time I have here. <clears throat> when God is moving, this is a, actually a big deal. Because when he is moving, he is actually changing things. He is doing something in people's lives. When he is moving, he is the creator. In other words, he takes messed up things, unformed things, things of nothing, and he makes something out of it. In other words, what will be our response when we hear people sharing their life story? Point number one, change begins with divine contact. Point number two, divine contact brings divine conviction and that leads to change. Acts 26, 14, he says, We all fell to the ground, and I heard a voice saying to me in Aramaic, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Is it hard for you to kick against the goats? And the goats, basically all it was, it was a, a stick with a point at the end. I think we got a picture of it. And this was used by farmers to actually urge disturbing ox into motion. And some scholars say that at this point in Paul's life, it was not, he was not able to shake off the message that he heard Stephen preach. And to the point that he actually agreed to, uh, for Stephen to get killed. And it's almost like this, this lingering thought of like, man, what, what I've done in the past, I can't escape it. I can't let it go. In other words, he couldn't shake it off. I had a very similar situation for me uh, years ago. Again, my two girls. <laughs> um, my wife was asked to be in a wedding, and, and she, she goes for the day, and um, I was going to be going to the wedding the next day, and and so the two girls, you know, Annabelle and Isabella, they're with me. And next thing you know, um, I don't know what we ate. I mean, now, you know, they were daddies, so, you know, we're eating whatever. And, and, and next thing you know, about 3 o'clock in the morning, Isabella wakes up and she's throwing up. And I'm like, dang, I guess whatever party we had and whatever we ate was not very good. 
And next thing you know, Annabelle, she's still in diapers, and, and, and she wakes up around 6 o'clock in the morning, and literally, it's almost like she grabbed a gun, and, and she actually spread the entire crib with some solution that came from her behind. Literally exploded. Parents, have, you know what I'm talking about. And as I'm getting ready for the wedding and I'm trying to get these girls all pretty when they're dressed and everything and I'm, and I'm cleaning up and, and by the end of it, I'm, I'm giving Isabella, it's like 9 o'clock in the morning, we're supposed to be in St. Augustine, it's about almost two hour drive and from, from Gainesville and, and I said to Isabella, here, here's this bucket, just, just throw up in the bucket because I got to get Anna ready. And Anna, whatever she ate, I mean, it was the same thing. She was just releasing, but releasing from the other end, which is a lot more nastier. They're both nasty, but you get the point. And as I'm downstairs, we had a townhouse. As I'm downstairs changing Annabelle's diaper. I was very frustrated. Just going through it. I'm like, what is this? Why do I have to do this? And in that moment, as nasty as it was, in that moment, I felt the presence of God come over me, literally. And I felt like the Lord saying, Robert, how many times have I had to clean your mess? How many times did I go down to the pits of hell to get you once again out of it? How many times did I visit you in prison in the moments that even you were locked up in prison, you were still getting high? The moments that you were making a mess out of your life, I was there to clean you up. And that's the God that we desire to follow and serve. That's who he is. And for the sake of time, I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. And I want to land this. Earlier when I shared a little bit about my testimony, about how I got apprehended by the law. And now I, I'm at the beginning as I am walking literally in shackles on my feet, in my hands, going into a reception center. And I am standing literally in a cage. If you, anyone been in prison watching or here, when you're getting... Uh, admitted into prison, they actually put you in this cage, literally as a cage. And you're there with 70 other men and you're butt naked with no clothes on. And as I stood there, I realized, wow, this is humiliating. <laughs> this is really bad. What have I gotten myself into? And you will think that would have changed my perspective and my mindset and say, man, I need to do something with my life. It didn't. Because I continue even the three years that I did, the first year and a half in prison, I was still living the life that I was living in the streets. Now I just had to become a little bit more smarter because I was in prison and it was a limited environment where you have still things that you can still do, that it was illegal, but I had to be a lot more creative. And I always had this guy named by the name, uh, his name was Eugene O'Neill. I'm short. 
This black guy was like this tall, literally. I'm not even making fun of him. He was short. Small guy, Eugene O'Neill. We'll never forget that guy. And he will come to my bunk and he will knock on my bunk. Valdez, chapel call, you want to go? I'm like, bro, I'm not into the gas stuff. Leave me alone. I'm reading a good book. And O'Neill never gave up. He will keep on knocking. Valdez, chapel tonight, you want to come? I said, bro, I, I told you I'm not into the gas stuff. I'm, leave me alone. I'm good. And to one night, it was a Thursday night, April in 2002. He comes and knocks on my bunk again. Valdez, you want to go to church? I'm like, bro, leave me alone, man. I, 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 I mean, talking about the persistent widow, Luke 18. He's like, okay, it's going to be good. And he walks away. Through the intercom, they say, hey, chapel call. Whoever wants to go to chapel, line up. And, and now I'm in a dorm with about 70 other men in this dorm. And literally, I'm not even exaggerating, just about the entire dorm lined up to go to chapel. And when I saw that, something got provoked in me. I'm like, oh, snap. I guess something really good is happening in chapel. So I'm going to put my shoes on, and I'm going to go to chapel. We made our way in. As I'm walking into chapel, I felt this energy and in that moment, I didn't realize what it was, obviously, because I was not a follower of Jesus. But that energy, as we know it today, was a presence in the power of the Holy Spirit. And I sat down in a regular seat, almost all the way to the back. And as I'm sitting there, these guys began to preach. And it was almost as if he was pounding on my heart. And pounding that every word that he was saying was just hitting. And it was a pounding. Almost as if with a jackhammer breaking through concrete. And it was his pounding. The man at the end makes his altar call. I didn't realize exactly what he was saying. But all I know is that when he say, on the count of three, if you want to give your life to Jesus, stand up. And next thing you know, it's one, two, three, and I'm up on my feet. And there was a bunch of other people around and I'm like, what the heck is going on? Then the guy says, start coming over. Everybody, everybody that stood up, come to the front. And in that moment, I sat back down. And that's when I experienced spiritual warfare. That I realized that there was a crossing over that needed to happen. And everything in my being and my flesh was saying, Robert, sit down. You don't need to get up. And everything in the Spirit of God in the environment was saying, it is time for you to come home. I'm calling you. I have a plan for your life. I'm calling you from darkness to light. And as I went my way back, I came out of the seat, came to the front to an altar just like this. And I realized, not knowing so much what I was doing, guess who was next to me? Eugene O'Neill and this is what he said 
I told you it was going to be good. I told you it was going to be good as he held his arm around me as a brother in Christ. That Thursday night, April 2002, I walked out of the prison chapel. This is almost 20 years ago. I walked out of the prison chapel and I said these words, Jesus has changed my life. I will never be the same man ever again. And here it is more than 20 years later, or almost 20 years later, and I have never been the same man again. And you might say, Robert, I don't have a story like that. It's okay. Because today your story gets written. And it's not so much on your way to prison. Maybe it's the fact that you're doing some wrong things, opposing some of the right things in your life. And I don't know what that is, but guess what? The devil knows because he got you. And God knows because he desires for you to come forward. And so church, if you bow your heads, close your eyes. I want to let this moment sit here in your heart. Because some of you right now are actually feeling the tug on your heart. In almost the same way as a knock, there is a knock that the Lord is doing in your heart right now. Jesus died the death that you and I deserve. And it's if you're here today and you came in and you realize, man, I'm not right. I'm not walking as I'm supposed to. I'm doing some wrong things that I know is opposing to the right things. I need help. If that's you, I'm not going to ask you to stand up. I'm not going to say, hey, go, come forward. All I'm going to ask you, if this is you, if there's something in your life that you realize, man, I need Jesus to help me because I have tried everything possible that I can in my own strength. Jesus, I need your help. If that's you, all I'm going to ask you to do is with your eyes closed, bow heads, just shoot your hands up right now if that's you. If there's some things in your life that you want to change, amen, I see your hand, amen, amen, I see that hand, amen, I see that hand, amen. You can put your hand down. Church, if you will stand, we're going to land the service a little bit different. If you will stand for a time of worship here, for those that raise your hand, I want you to start leaning into as we go into a time of worship. And then Pastor John is going to come out and pray for us.